What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Thursday, June 8th, 2023. And tonight we're talking about a Cardinals win to snap a five-game losing streak as St. Louis did it in style. one nothing over the Texas Rangers. Alec Burleson with the big swing of the game for the Cardinals. As we saw a really quality pitching performance from Jack Flaherty, the bullpen finishing out the job for St. Louis in what was a scoreless game for the majority of the time. And Alec Burleson's home run in the late innings ends up lifting the Cardinals and getting them out of the doldrums of that five-game losing streak. This was such a big win for the Cardinals. It felt really necessary to snap that skid at some point soon. And they were able to avoid the sweep, which would have been the second in a row on the road trip, get their first win of the road trip on the last game of the road trip, which is obviously not an ideal circumstance to be in, but it's better than the alternative as the Cardinals figure out a way to get a win on Wednesday night. So you can kind of take a sigh of relief, step back for a moment and say, okay, Cardinals with the off day coming up on Thursday can at least feel good about something, able to get that win on Wednesday night. But Still feels like we've got a lot of negatives to talk about when it comes to the Cardinals, the way things are going, and I guess kind of the perception of the way things are going. And even on this one, I couldn't help but chime in with a a snarky comment when it came to, and this is kind of a continuation of something we talked about yesterday, and I honestly can't figure out if we're making too much of this or if this should be a story at all or if maybe there is some legitimacy to the fact that right now the Cardinals just look rather lifeless, and this was the case even again tonight in a win. one nothing over the Rangers. So we're going to spend some time tonight dissecting some of the clips we saw on the television broadcast and I guess sort of grading how excited the Cardinals were or should have been about a win like this one. So getting into that and a discussion on the game itself tonight on B-Shape Daily. Make sure you are following on Spotify the show B-Shape Daily. And if you've got an iPhone, Apple Podcasts is another place to find the audio-only version of all of our content here. YouTube.com slash at bshafer12. The YouTube channel is Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. Would love to have you subscribe over there as we'll do some live streams from time to time. Second pre-recorded podcast in a row for Shafe Daily. That'll be up on the YouTube page as well by Thursday morning. Was honestly planning to do a live stream probably on Thursday night. But then as my wife and I were sitting down to watch a TV show after putting the baby to bed, baby starts crying, wakes up. My wife says, hey, come look at this. He's got some sort of allergic reaction, seemed to be getting better even after just an hour or so. But that sort of uh, took our evening and, and changed the plans for it. And so by the time I'm recording this, it's already after midnight. And I didn't figure very many people would still be awake. So we're just going with the regular old podcast. We'll have another live stream, though, soon enough especially if the Cardinals can maybe turn things around. That might be a circumstance under which to do a live stream. But, hey, they did win a game on Wednesday, even though they maybe didn't entirely look like it in their quote-unquote celebration on the field after the game. Let's go ahead and start there because I feel like for all the things that did happen in this game, Jack Flaherty striking out a bunch of batters, rebounding from a rough first inning where he walked the bases loaded, Uh, Alec Burleson, a guy who has been kind of Taking a, taking a bit of a beating in terms of Cardinals fans wondering whether or not he even deserves a spot on the roster anymore with kind of a lack of production that he's had at the plate recently. 
coming up with a big home run and the only run RBI that the Cardinals put on the board in this game. The only run scored overall is they won it 1-0. to zero. And so lots going on in this game. But I feel like we want to start with seeing whether some of the GIFs and little videos that are posted on social media, kind of whether these pass the sniff test at all as far as do the Cardinals really have the lack of passion and lack of life that it seems at times watching this team react to certain momentous events over the last couple of days. We brought this up on last night's Be Shafe Daily, which you can scroll back, episode 399. I believe this will be episode number 400 of Be Shafe Daily, so there's a fun little milestone. But if you missed Tuesday's episode, go ahead and scroll back and check that out if you want. But we talked in that episode about the Jordan Walker home run and how, as he's about to round second base, the Bally Sports Midwest broadcast cuts to an image of the dugout showing the reaction from in there. Andrew Kisner is doing some hooping and hollering, leaning over the railing, trying to get everybody hyped up. A little bit of a reaction from Miles Michaelis, Nolan Arenado, and basically business as usual from everybody else. Just like no reaction. Now, granted, and we talked about this yesterday, Cardinals were still trailing 6-4 to four at that point, but... I feel like people are kind of wondering, can you give a little bit more passion, a little more exuberance, especially for a rookie having a big home run, moonshot home run? Like, it's okay to be excited about something, and then maybe that can manifest, and you can parlay that into potentially mounting a comeback in a game that you're trailing. I get it. They lost four games in a row, ultimately losing that game yesterday to make it a five-game losing streak. But it really did kind of strike me as a little bit odd. And so we we brought it up and talked about it. And I even said, I don't know if this is even legitimate, if this is even anything to worry about. We have to acknowledge that we don't get the full context, right? You see one little blip of what the dugout looks like. It's a snapshot, not an entire, you know, video or picture of what it looked like throughout the entire minute or so following the home run. Like, we don't see everything. We got to acknowledge that. But then tonight, we sort of see it happening again. And... There was one, I know Cardinals GIFs on Twitter puts up a lot of the, the stuff that you'll see on the broadcast and puts it into GIF form, and so that's great because in case you missed it live, it's a great resource to be able to go back and look. The first one was kind of the dugout reaction after the Alec Burleson home run, which came there for the Cardinals as a line shot in the top of the eighth inning into the right field stands. Big swing for Burleson, who has certainly had his struggles, even with the home run tonight in a one-for-three outing. His batting average at 226 on the season, an OPS of 668. So rather underwhelming. But to have a swing like that, man, that is huge for a Cardinals team that was just starving, desperate to end a losing streak, try to get some positive momentum going back. And you'd think with only six outs to go at that point, following the home run by Burleson, six outs away from the Cardinals coming up with a win, you'd think the reaction would be one that, had some excitement, had some exuberance there in the dugout. Now, the gift that I think Cardinals gifts put out there, which if you're just looking at it out of context, you go, yeah, it looks like nobody's really reacting in the dugout to Alec Burleson. I believe this was almost two, three pitches after the Burleson home run had transpired, and he's now back in the dugout and basically about to take his seat. So a lot of time had probably passed there between the swing and maybe the reaction that would have happened in the dugout at that moment compared to what they're showing in the GIF. Uh, and I think the caption said something like, all smiles in the Cardinals dugout after the home run. Which, no, I mean, people with a very stoic-looking group, right? And 
this has been something that's been referenced previously. Like, it's not new to think the Cardinals. I mean, Ali Marmel mentioned it last night, talking about with the frustrations they've gone through, but they're a very even keel group, and he believes that can help them sort of rebound from the low times to be able to get back on track. I think at times, though, they're so even killed that when things are going well, it almost seems like they're they're not really enjoying it necessarily. I think there's a lot of things you could wonder about with this. You could say, well, in a one nothing game in the eighth inning, there's still plenty of possibility and opportunity to lose that game. And so, you know, maybe prematurely celebrating anything just doesn't feel right in the midst of a, a long losing streak and the way the season has gone. And I could honestly understand that. Um, but guys like Wilson Contreras, we've talked about how he has been an agent for good in terms of bringing a little bit of an edge to this clubhouse, bringing a little bit of excitement out there, not afraid to to get excited about something, even if it's just taking an extra base and trying to steal a run here or there, or whatever the case might be. He gets excited about it. He shows a lot of that emotion on the field, and I feel like as a team in general, you don't see a ton of emotion from the Cardinals. There are a few guys that do it, you know, certain guys maybe coming off the mound after a big strikeout, you might see it. You've got guys like Contreras, like maybe an Andrew Kisner or Lars Newtbar that are not afraid to show a little bit of exuberance, have some pizzazz out there. It's a very nitpicky thing, I feel like, to be reading into these reactions as much as we are right now. But because I know it's a topic on social media, and I'll be honest, I, you know, contribute to it as well when I retweet something and, and make a little bit of a snarky comment. My comment, though, was not on the, the post Burleson home run because, again, I think that was a little bit out of context. Anybody can share what they like on, on Twitter, and, and Cardinals Gifts does an awesome job of, uh, like I said, as a resource where you might miss something, but he's probably going to put it on there if it's if it's even remotely interesting. And so a great addition to the Cardinals fandom if you uh, have never seen his stuff on Twitter, which I doubt at this point because he's been around for a long time. But the Burleson thing, I'm like, okay, I think probably the context there would suggest, you know, this was uh, well after the home run had happened and the celebrating had already probably taken place. So context is important on these sorts of things. But I'm looking at another example of the postgame kind of lineup on the field as Cardinals Gifts put out another gif of the team sort of uh, gathering around the pitcher's mound there between the mound and second base, get ready for the handshake line after a one nothing win, ending a losing streak. And you just look at the GIF and you go, man, it just looks like they are bored to be there. And so my comment was in response to that one where I said, are they lining up for the firing squad or to shake hands upon ending a losing streak? Like you just can't really tell that they just won a game. Now, it's totally possible that we're reading too much into this. I wanted to make a snarky joke, and so I did. It's Twitter. That's the way it works. But I think a lot of people are taking this and saying, hey, this is this is further proof that this team and this, you know, the manager is is bad for this team. They should fire him even after this win. A lot of people are unhappy with Ollie Marmel, and I understand being unhappy with the results, but I feel like, again, it's just an example of fans looking for a lightning rod and something to point their ire toward. And, and Ali Marmel has been that in a lot of ways. And I understand because sometimes he might say something that rubs you the wrong way. Again, I don't care who the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals is. Cardinals fans will always find a reason to dislike that guy. Tony Larusa is a hall of famer as a manager and one of the most successful managers in MLB history. And I remember I was younger at the time, but I remember everybody hating Tony Larusa. 
didn't like the way he did this, his idiosyncrasies, it didn't matter. Like, people are going to gripe about the manager no matter who it is, and especially in a season where the team is right now 11 games below 500. There are a dozen games below coming into today before getting the one nothing win. In those situations, it's not. it doesn't even matter. There's nothing he could do, nothing he could say, no pitching change he could execute, no lineup he could put out that somebody's not going to complain about it. I mean, there are always going to be those types of voices of dissent when it comes to the manager when a team is losing, especially in St. Louis. I don't know if this happens in every team in MLB. It probably does. It probably happens in more cities than we give credit for. But in St. Louis, I can tell you from experience that it's just going to happen. And Ollie Marmel has taken a lot of the arrows from the fan base so far this season. He's not going anywhere, guys. Again, I would be very surprised to see Ollie Marmel fired. And I don't think that using a gif after a Cardinal win is necessarily a, a good piece of evidence to say, see, I told you he should be fired and this is why. That being said, I do think it's notable at this point that the body language of this team has been a little bit suspect recently. And I've also seen some comments where some people have chimed in and said, well, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to have a dog pile over a, a, a win to improve to 26 and 37? Like, come on. No, I don't want a dog pile. No, I don't need a, a you know a mariachi band or uh, a live disco ball in the dugout after a home run or anything like that. And then you have the hamburger phone. But, like, I, I don't need anything over the top. And that's why I said maybe we're feeling a little bit nitpicky with even griping about, well, they're not celebrating the right way. Again, we're getting too into the weeds. But I feel like this is what you do when a team is 26 and 37 and they're struggling and they had expectations and so far they're not being met. Like, you're going to look at every little detail and – have these talking points and beat them into the ground because everybody's kind of wondering, well, why are the Cardinals struggling the way that they are? And there are a lot of reasons for that. We'll continue to talk about them on the podcast. But again, they won the game today. Did I think the reaction was a little bit odd? Very businesslike, very stoic, very even keeled. Ryan Helsley kind of sighing a little bit. Wilson Contreras has his hands on his hips. He's kind of waiting for the outfielders to come in. Pitching staff, Alec Burleson out there. Goldie and Arnado kind of just standing around. Like, again, it's a little awkward, right? You didn't, It's not like you won on a walk-off. There'd be more excitement that way. And actually, the way that they won was another bizarre near collision, and there have been way too many of those for the Cardinals lately. And I don't know if it's infielders in the outfield. I don't know what it is. There's one almost between Edmund uh, in center field and Jordan Walker in right field tonight that Tommy Edmund very nearly perished. He very nearly left this earth because a collision with Jordan Walker would have probably done him in. I mean, that guy is massive. Tommy Edmond is, you know, my size. Uh, he's a little taller than me and definitely in better shape. But Jordan Walker is a truck, and Tommy Edmond is not. And so very fortunate to see that Edmond was able to kind of maneuver around Walker, who was charging hard for that fly ball in shallow right center field. Walker was calling him off the whole time. You could see with the body language anyway, but if Edmund is trucking at full speed as well to try to get to the ball and maybe doesn't hear Jordan Walker, I guess those mistakes could happen, but they've happened so often that you're kind of like, eventually, would that not be something that gets resolved? And it almost happened again to end the game, which maybe part, partly explains the muted reaction by the Cardinals. And again, Cardinals Gifts tweeted it out. If you go on my Twitter timeline, at for 12 you'll see my comment where I said, are they lining up for the firing squad? 
or shake hands after losing or after ending the losing streak. So you'll be able to see that gift there if you happen to miss it. Again, at B. Schaefer 12 or at Cardinals Gifts on Twitter. Definitely what I would call, though, a muted reaction. And maybe the viewpoint of this clubhouse, which has a lot of those kind of serious veteran guys, you know, uh, Paul Goldschmidt leads by example. You've got Adam Wainwright, who is certainly capable of having his fun. But, like, Arenado, like, I just look at these guys and think maybe they're taking all this to heart more than you recognize, but it's sort of manifesting in a way that feels a little disappointing, right? Because when they do win a game, yes, the season has been a bust so far. Still, I think the way we approach it on this show is that there's a lot of talent on this roster. Yes, it's a little bit of a a disjointed roster in a lot of ways, but still a lot of talent and still a lot of potential with about 100 games to go, 99 games to go, whatever it is, to make a run at this thing. I still think it's possible. They always talk about in the clubhouse believing that it's possible. But I feel like they're almost treating it at times as like, until we start really getting on a roll, we can't really allow ourselves to have fun. It just looks like they're almost putting a lot of pressure on themselves to get out of the funk that they've been in. Even when you win, it still looks like you'd have to apologize for feeling excited about it. I don't know that that's necessarily something that any one of those guys are putting on themselves that's that's causing this situation or if it's even real we might just be totally barking up the wrong tree and again the folks who say hey what do you want you want a big celebration you want them to pop champagne over a, a over a win in early june like it's not realistic to expect that they're going to have these wild reactions but there are teams around the game that you just get a a sense of hey man they're having fun out there when they're doing it the cardinals are not having fun right now i don't think that that's a very controversial statement Nobody's going to have fun losing five games in a row, obviously. But even when you get a win, it still feels like the way it looks on the field as they go into that handshake line is as though they've got to apologize for something. Like if they're if they're seen having a little too much fun or looking like they're a little too excited about a win, that maybe the next one might be taken away from them. Or maybe, you know, whatever the scrutiny would be over, well, why are these guys celebrating their 11 games out I don't, like I said, I don't know what action or what guy or what group of people in this clubhouse is sort of inspiring the muted tones to even a nice one nothing win that, that really came at a crucial time for the team to stop a losing skid. I don't know that anybody in particular is to blame. I'm certainly not going to look and say Ollie Marmel is to blame. Um, yes, the manager sets the tone, but again, I feel like this is a veteran group in a lot of ways, and, and the clubhouse looks toward the veterans, and so they might just be looking to sort of take a business-like approach to being able to get their get their, uh, get their their issues behind them and get themselves out of this funk, get themselves out of the bottom of the, the National League Central and the National League standings. Whether that's right, whether that's wrong, I think it's more of a matter of personal preference. And so that's why I don't want to come down so hard as though this is a, you know, a major indictment of anything, really. But I do think it's interesting. And I do think at this point we've seen it enough times over the last few days that it is at least notable and something that people are talking about. And so I'm not going to turn a blind eye to it. I noticed it as well and thought, interesting. Like that's a little, it's a little weird at this point. Um, But I don't know. The whole season has been weird. And so it should not maybe come as a, a surprise. But what did you think about the reaction? If you happen to see it, comment below on this YouTube video. Make sure you like the video as well and subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel for daily Cardinals content all season long. And if you just prefer an audio app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Be Shafe Daily is available 
in those locations as well. But YouTube's the best place to get your comments in on the video or go ahead at bshafer12. You can tweet at me or shoot me a direct message over there if you'd like to keep your thoughts private. Um, but thought it was interesting, thought it was something at least worth, worth talking about, and now I feel like the scrutiny is going to be on sort of the reactions as this team goes about it. I imagine if you asked any one of the Cardinals, they would all kind of kind of roll their eyes at you and say, well, look, I mean, I think you're reading too much into something like that. It's a long road trip. You go one and five on the road trip. You're not necessarily looking to have an exuberant celebration after a win like that. And by the way, as I mentioned, and I think I talked around it a little bit, the way the game ended was a near collision between Oscar Mercado and Paul DeYoung in shallow left field as DeYoung ends up securing the final out, but did he call off Mercado? Was Mercado calling off him? Did nobody really say anything? It just feels like everybody's afraid to make a false move right now, and and it's just kind of hard to see guys taking charge. Jordan Walker did seem to take charge on the fly ball that was nearly a collision with Edmund, but again, I just think everybody's kind of pressing a little bit, and that's starting to show in the body language. I do think there's some legitimacy to it. Is it the end of the world? Is it an indictment that you know somebody needs to be fired over it? Absolutely not. But like I said, people are talking about it, and so we were going to bring it up as well. As for the game itself, the concerns about this offense still remain. Very legitimate. Granted, John Gray was the starter for the Rangers on Wednesday night, and he has been fantastic so far this season, lowering his ERA in this game to 2.32. He throws a complete game in a losing effort, striking out 12 Cardinals. Other than that Burleson home run, man, it was a hapless, hapless night for the Cardinals offense, which is nothing new. This is kind of the way things have been going. Maybe that's part of it as well. You strike out 12 times, and you only score one run collectively, and it's your rookie outfielder that, that hits the home run for you. Are all those guys kind of feeling the weight of their own performances and saying, man, we got away with one, but you know, the, the, the muted reaction could be as a result of guys in that clubhouse just kind of realizing we've still got a long way to go, and tonight was not necessarily a performance that indicates you're, you're making a lot of strides in that regard. So, again, it's just all kind of speculative, and, and we're wondering, we're grasping at some straws maybe to, to figure out what's going on with this team right now. But John Gray was fantastic, and the, and the Cardinals' offense, frankly, w- w- was not. Um, but fortunately, they did have the benefit of, and in the game for the Cardinals, we can give you the left-on-base totals. It wouldn't have been very sig- significant. Just one left-on-base over two with runners in scoring position. and have very many guys on base the entire game. Four hits, uh, no walks for the Cardinals' offense. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Arenado had a decent game going two for three. Burleson had his bomb, and Jordan Walker had a, a a ground ball base hit through the right side in the ninth inning, and that was it for this Cardinals team that collectively struck out 12 times. John Gray pitching a complete game in a losing effort, but the Cardinals starter did his job, and that was Jack Flaherty. Started this game by walking the bases loaded in the first inning and was able to wiggle his way out of that jam. The next five innings, though, he was pretty much fantastic. He dialed it in, gave up just three hits on the day, Yes, a total of five walks continues to be a problem for Flaherty as he has allowed a, a lot of walks this season. I mean, you look at his walk rate, and it is very elevated. Tonight did nothing to change that for Flaherty. 69 and a third innings pitched on the season now for Jack Flaherty. I think he's up to 40 bases on balls. So it's unusual. It's uh, Yes, I think it's a, somewhat of a concern, but... If you realize that three of those walks were isolated to the first inning tonight, and then he really locked in over the next five innings, allowing just two walks and three base hits, that's one base runner per inning over the next five. 
and was able to be efficient enough to get the Cardinals through six and through 105 pitches. So you like to see that a little bit more of a workhorse mentality. Flaherty's got the ERA for the season down to 4.15. And don't look now, but the numbers over the past three weeks to a month or so have been much, much better from Jack Flaherty. He's got an ERA below two since May 15th and an ERA just narrowly above two since May 9th. And so that's going back four or five starts at this point for Jack Flaherty. He has been really, really strong for the Cardinals. There have been some outings where you say, oh, he hasn't really been as efficient, hasn't necessarily gotten as deep into some of these games as you'd like to see. I think that's all fair criticism. But, like, I think everybody's kind of on edge, hyper-focused on looking for the thing that Jack Flaherty might end up doing wrong and so that they can kind of point it out and say, see, I told you so. He's never going to be able to do, you know, to to reach the potential that, that we all thought he could at one point in time. I think everybody's kind of braced to look for the things that Jack Flaherty is doing wrong, but it might be time to just look at the things that Jack Flaherty is doing right because he's helping the Cardinals in a big way. Eight strikeouts tonight, six innings, no runs. Yes, the five walks are problematic, but was able to get around them in, in just three base hits. The contact was very, very unimpressive by a legitimate Texas Rangers lineup. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from the game tonight. You would love to see Flaherty continue to work on the walk rate and, and get it down, get it decreased from the lofty total of 40 walks and 69 innings that he's had so far this season. But he's got nasty stuff, and he's using it right now. To only allow three hits, and I know one of them was a double that just dropped in down the left field line. Like, not a lot of hard contact, not a lot of contact at all, really, against Jack Flaherty tonight with the eight strikeouts in six innings. So he did look really good. The first inning, yes, was a concern. I think he threw... 29 pitches, but he completely locked it in after that for five scoreless uh, for a total of six scoreless. You go back to his last start, it was a matter of having some command issues as well in that game against Pittsburgh. Uh, Hit a couple of batters, walked another batter, but had the six strikeouts in that game. Only one run allowed as he pitched into the six. The previous outing to finish up May in Cleveland was a seven-inning outing from Jack Flaherty. Really the only struggle that he's had since that really, really rough one against the Angels at the beginning of May was the 21st of May when he was unable to get through the fifth inning and still in that game only allowed three runs against a pretty good Dodgers lineup and had the other seven-inning outing against Milwaukee where the Cardinals won that game. I think that was like the 18-1 to win, if I'm not mistaken, on the 15th of May. So he has had some really, really solid starts that he has strung together. If you look at four of the last five, he's been able to at least pitch into the sixth. In three of those, he's pitched through the sixth, and in two of them, he's actually gone seven innings. It's just that one that he went four and two-thirds against the Dodgers that uh, command kind of got away from him a little bit in a four-walk outing. I think sometimes he's he's having trouble with command and then makes a conscious decision to not throw these pitches over the heart of the plate when he's he's kind of reaching for it and finding for it a little bit. And Jack Flair has been able to be effective in doing that uh, for the most part. Obviously, he had the 10 runs allowed in the game against the Angels back at the beginning of May, but it's been over a month since that's happened, and he's been a much different pitcher in the time since. And so you've seen him lower his ERA pretty substantially over the course of that stretch. I think the Cardinals can feel pretty good about where Jack Flaherty is right now. And you, you couple that with Miles Michaelis having uh, kind of a, a comeback effort of late. You put Jack Flaherty in that mix. Jordan Montgomery, we're still kind of waiting to see him really take off and, and get back to where he was toward the beginning of the season when he was really the only reliable starter the Cardinals had going there for a while. Adam Wainwright, we're still kind of in that wait-and-see mode. A lot of people have 
written him off already. I'm not one of them. I just believe that it's going to be what it is for Adam Wainwright. He's going to have to pitch through a lot of contact, and the ceiling is not going to be as high for Wainwright this season because of the contact-oriented nature of his game and the fact that you've got the pitch clock, you've got the shift ban, and things that are really kind of working against the Cardinals defensively to be able to manage pitch-to-contact type of guys in the rotation, which, unfortunately, the Cardinals are built around pitch-to-contact, and it's a big reason, I think, for the struggles that they've had so far this season when you consider the MLB rule changes and you think about the fact that also these guys that are on the infield that are are gold-glovers year in and year out are not having great defensive seasons necessarily. If you look at the metrics, Nolan Arenado was having kind of a below-average season, and he's one of the best defensive third basemen to ever do it. I think if they really look at the metrics this year, barring a turnaround, which there's still almost 100 games left to play and could happen, barring a turnaround, though, I don't know if Arenado wins a gold glove this year, and he's won one every single year that he's played in the major leagues, and so something to maybe keep an eye on. He's had just uh, some mishaps here and there that are, are kind of inexplicable. I think they're pressing. I think he is one of the guys that is often pressing. Had a nice day offensively tonight, but there are times where I would make the case that he might take some of the concerns if he's not going the way he wants to be going or the way he expects himself to be going at the plate. He might be taking some of that into the field at times this season. We've seen Tommy Edmond have some some weirdness going on playing as an infielder. I think he's looked pretty good as an outfielder um, other than just almost getting himself killed by running into Jordan Walker was able to peel off at the last second. But that, I mean, again, ball and right center field as a center fielder, you think, Hey, I'm the guy that's going to be in charge of this one. But Walker was very clearly calling for it from the beginning. And so that was uh, a narrowly avoided crisis. But in general, I've, you know, we've, we've seen Edmund make a couple of errors at second base where he's previously won a gold glove. You wonder how much just having to move all around the diamond and, and being asked to play different positions has perhaps impacted him and his defensive prowess this season, but we've seen some of that. Uh, we've just seen uh, some general weirdness, I feel like, from this team defensively. Is it a lack of confidence because they know that they would be best suited with uh, the ability to play wherever defensively they need to, and, and with a shift you can't, or a shift ban, I should say, you can't do that any longer? It's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what's going on, but again, it's just a little bit, uh, everything feels like it's a touch-off right now, like you're you're watching this team in a fugue state or you're in it. You know how you, when you're in a dream, you know that like, okay, I kind of recognize this environment and I know what to expect from this. But when you're in that dream and it's kind of like all fuzzy and you're not really sure and some of it just doesn't make sense, that's what it feels like for the Cardinals right now that a lot of this is sort of like a bad dream that you're going to wake up from and everything's going to snap back into focus. And so far it really hasn't happened. And despite the fact that they won this game on Wednesday night, I would say this was another example of, uh, especially as a, a team offensively and defensively. And, and you could even throw base running into that a little bit. Arenado trying to be aggressive later in this game on a, a fly ball, trying to advance on a tag up from second to third, ends up on replay review, uh, getting called out, overturned the call in the field. It really just by a, a straightened fingertip was he tagged out going into third base. But if he doesn't have the fingertips straight up into the air the way that he did, there's a potential that you break a finger, you know, diving in headfirst to third base or or you, something happens like it happened to Lars Newtbar on opening day when he hurt the thumb doing that exact play. So, again, it's just these small margins. We've talked about the slim margins for this Cardinals team. But if you want to throw that base running aspect from tonight's game into sort of the negative side of the ledger, I guess you can. I honestly didn't mind the play being aggressive, trying to take the extra base, get 90 feet away from scoring in a game that was 0-0 at the time. I didn't think that was the end of the world. It's the right type of mistake I think you want to make in terms of base running. It's not the the, the, the Gorman, Arenado, Edmund debacle from a couple of nights ago. 
this is just trying to take a base, be aggressive, and, and sometimes it does not pan out. But those things are going on for the Cardinals right now, along with what I mentioned with an offensive night where you, you strike out 12 times, you have one guy connect on a big swing, and it ends up being all you needed, thankfully so. But the Cardinals still kind of acted like in the aftermath of this game, the, the reaction that you do see kind of did feel like they acknowledged they might have gotten, gotten away with one here. The pitching was part of the reason that they were able to do so and want to make sure to highlight the guys in relief that did a nice job for this team. Jordan Hicks has been fan-freaking-tastic for quite a while now, and he actually ends up credited as the winning pitcher in this game because he pitched the seventh, and then in the top of the eighth is when the Cardinals took the lead on the Burleson home run. But Jordan Hicks has been unbelievable recently, and I'll pull it up here on MLB.com as we are checking out the uh, the box score and the game logs here, wondering uh, exactly what I can give you for the, the recent splits of Jordan Hicks. I'll go last 15 games because it's readily available here on the MLB.com player page. A 1.53 ERA over his past 15 appearances, 17 and two-thirds innings included within that span. Uh, nine walks in those 17 and two-thirds, so a little bit elevated there in terms of the walk rate, uh, but just nine hits as well. So basically, the whip would be one. It's at 1.02. Um, one more out, and he'd be an even one in terms of whip, which is walks plus hits per innings pitched. Uh, per inning pitched, I should say. Uh, 29 strikeouts over that span for Jordan Hicks. He has been absolutely electric. You're seeing the fastball, uh, the, the sinker rather, have some nice movement on it, getting it into the triple digits, and the slider has just been completely wiped out for Jordan Hicks recently. Uh, and then if you want to span a little bit closer to present day, his last seven games, seven and two-thirds innings, four hits, two walks, no runs, and 11 strikeouts, a whip of 0. 0.78. Jordan Hicks has been fantastic, and if the Cardinals end up out of this thing completely, he might end up being one of the guys that you could maybe get the most for at a trade deadline because that ERA, if he continues on this path for another month or so, is going to be well below three. I mean, he was up in the six, seven, eight range at one point in time. Now he's at 3.91 on the ERA because he has been just absolutely nails. We, we give a lot of criticism of the Cardinals in the front office and the management of this team in a year where things are going as poorly as they have, but I think it does stand to reason that when things do go well and a decision pans out, we should credit the Cardinals for that, and, I, and that's what I want to do with the way they handled Jordan Hicks. At the time, it really seemed questionable whether they could afford to basically use him as an additional non-leverage reliever when you've already got a couple of guys in general in the bullpen that you don't feel super confident in if they are going to be pressed into a leverage situation. And for a while, they said, hey, we can't do it with Jordan Hicks because he was getting completely shelled. Whatever they spoke into existence – Hicks said he had some conversations with some different people, some coaches. I know he talked with Ollie Marmel. Whatever the magic words were that he needed to hear to kind of lock back in his focus, it completely happened, and he has been almost infallible since then. Like I said, the ERA down to 3.91. He gets credited with the win tonight, and great to see just a very standard, boring-ass outing from Gallegos and Helsley. And by boring, I just mean they both did their jobs. Gallegos with a strikeout in a scoreless, hitless, walkless inning, and then Helsley in the ninth inning striking out the first two batters before getting the pop-up to end the game, recording his seventh uh, save of the season. 3.24 ERA for Helsley, 3.70 for Gallegos. I know that that's not the lockdown numbers that it had been maybe in past years for, for both those guys when Helsley was an all-star last year and and uh, really Gallegos before the, the rough outing last, uh, what was it, Friday in Pittsburgh. He had had some really good numbers that have sort of gotten inflated by uh, that one appearance. But if you look at those two guys and you look at Jordan Hicks kind of locking in the way that he has, and I would make a case that 
Cabrera is still going to be a pretty solid lefty reliever. Steven Matz, if you just limit him to playing, pitching against lefties out of the bullpen for the most part, you're going to get really pretty quality results out of him, I would expect. Chris Stratton has looked pretty solid despite allowing a couple of base runners yesterday, was able to get out of a jam with a, a, a double play to end an inning. They've got a decent thing going with the bullpen. You get one more bonafide guy with some closing experience that's having a really good season, and the Cardinals could end up looking at that bullpen at the end of this year as a strength. I know things are going to ebb and flow, and, and bullpens can tend to be rather fickle, but you like the, the trend, I think, for the way the bullpen's going. You like the trend for the rotation as well. I mentioned you have it going on with Michaelis. You have Jack Flaherty coming around. You have, I, I think Adam Wainwright is, maybe the jury's out on him, but I still have a, a belief that despite the fact that it is going to be often a pitch to contact, and yeah, he's probably going to give up six or seven or eight hits, maybe more in the majority of his starts. He's also found a, a pretty decent enough ability to scatter those hits, and so I think you're looking at most of the time five and a third, five and two thirds. Maybe he gets through six. He's going to give up about two, three, maybe four runs. If you look at it as he's kind of a, a middle-of-the-road, number three, number four type of starter, maybe number five, depending on if the ERA kind of stays inflated the way that it has. But you, you just lower those expectations to recognize that, yeah, he's not going to miss as many bats as maybe he once did. And because the defense behind him has just been a little bit more suspect this season for the Cardinals in general for all the reasons that we've talked about, you lower your expectations a little bit. But with Flaherty missing bats now and Michael is doing what he has done, you add a, a maybe capable Wainwright to that as time goes along. Uh, Montgomery, again, we just kind of have to wait and see what he's able to do as the rest of the season unfolds. He looks so good for a while, has run into a little bit of trouble here and there recently. And then Matthew Libertor is a guy that I, I still say you give him another month and a half or so, let him go out there and make starts, have some failure, figure out how to work through it, and maybe be able to come out on the other side of it. And if he can't, then you know, you're know you more sad than you were about the Arena trade. But at that point, if you're the Cardinals, you at least can recognize, all right, let's go put some legitimate resources to trading for a top-of-the-line starting pitcher, and things could end up looking more decent when it comes to that rotation. All of this is on paper. All of this is kind of hypothetical. We're projecting a little bit moving forward. You feel like the trend of the pitching staffs, though, both in terms of the rotation and in terms of the bullpen, they're moving in the right direction. The offense absolutely is not moving in the right direction. And I think it's a concern, and I think it manifests a little bit in what you see in terms of the reaction from that team after a one nothing win out on the field as they're celebrating, if, if you will, in the handshake line there. I think this offense is going to be the key as to whether or not the Cardinals can turn things around, and it just has not been all too encouraging in recent days. Like, we can break this down by series. One run tonight, four runs the previous night, and then three in the first game of this series. That is a three-game series in Arlington where the Cardinals scored a total of eight runs. You're looking at fewer than three runs per game in that series. Cardinals scored five runs back on Friday, June 2nd. Remember, that was a five-run inning. They had a couple of home runs, I believe, in that frame. And then that was the game where Gallegos comes into the later innings, tried to rescue Palante, couldn't do it. And it was a six-run seventh inning that allowed the Pirates to win that game on Friday, which, by the way, before, like, by noon central today, the Pirates had already given up a touchdown to the Oakland Athletics, one of the worst teams in baseball. I believe the Oakland A's ended up winning that game over Pittsburgh, but it's just kind of disheartening if you're a Cardinals fan. I mean, good enough because you need the Pirates to lose games. You need the Brewers to lose games as well, and they're starting to come together and win more. Uh, the Reds are winning more. They're hot with Ellie De La Cruz hitting his first home run, uh, big league home run tonight, and the Cardinals now get to welcome that team into Bush on Friday, so we'll see how that ends up going with the Reds starting to catch a little mojo and being, you know, that fun team that we just really haven't seen a whole lot recently from when it comes to the Cardinals. 
But that game on Friday, Cardinals scored five runs. All those five runs came in one inning, but hey, still five runs. Three runs on Saturday, one on Sunday in that morning game. Nine runs in Pittsburgh, three runs per game in that series. And then going back to before the long break, long break, it was two days after the 19 games in 19 days. You go right before that, they had the two-gamer against the Royals in which the Cardinals scored zero runs and two runs, averaging one run a game for that series. And the only reason they got a win was because of a good pitching performance on Tuesday. And so, again, another example where you get away with it a little bit. The previous Saturday, we're going back into May now, but this is still all part of that stretch where the Cardinals offense has just really struggled. They scored three runs, two runs, and three runs in the series against the Guardians and really could have, based on some pretty good pitching, like I said, the pitching has been trending in a better direction. They could have won two of three back in Cleveland. Ultimately, they only get the win on Saturday in a two-to-one win, but in that series, eight total runs in three total games. That's, again, below three runs per game. That's, I mean, we're going back at this point 11 games into the past with the Cardinals, and you can add the final game in the Cincinnati series at Great American Ballpark when they won that one 2-1. to So really, the last dozen games for this Cardinals team, they're averaging pretty handily below three runs a game, and they have not in any one of those games scored more than five, and the day that they did that was doing it all in one inning and then just basically doing nothing the rest of that outing. Offensively, there are concerns, I think, right now about this Cardinals team. I don't even want to bring up the stats of what it is for the season long because we'll look at it and they'll probably still be, you know, 11th in MLB and runs scored. And we'll look at their runners in scoring position average. And it's like, wow, they're still in the top 10 and their OPS is still above 800. And there's only a handful of teams that could even claim anything close to that. That's all well and good. But the consistency day to day from this Cardinals team offensively right now is a little bit jarring. Again, the pitching situation is moving in a better direction. It's only going to get so good, though. Like, barring just a, a major addition to the rotation or, you know, adding a, a top-flight reliever, which could actually happen, but the, barring those things taking place, these this pitching staff is not going to be like a top-five unit, I don't think. I just don't see that coming. Um, they could stabilize and be solidly middle of the pack, maybe a little better than that, but they're not going to be the thing that anchors and carries you. I think, to a comeback in this division. The offense has to be the thing that does that. In conjunction, sure, with a an improvement from the pitching staff, but the offense, I think, has to be the thing that carries this team. And right now, it's not even remotely close to carrying it. It's anchoring it and, and weighing it down in, in such a way that they're lucky to have won as many games as they've won over the past two weeks. And they haven't won very many games. But when you only score more than four runs once in a, in a 12-game span... And you happen to lose that game, and the day you scored four, you also lost that game. You're lucky to have, what, they have three wins over their last 11 or something like that? That is rather fortunate for the Cardinals to be in the position that they're in. The offense is going to have to turn things around. I don't know if it's their demeanor. I don't know if it's their their intent with the swings. We've talked about good times this season with intent and, and looking to do damage and going up there and, and being purposeful with the way they're swinging the baseball bat. There have been times where maybe they haven't done that as much. I don't know exactly what the diagnosis is right now for this offense. I just know it has looked ugly. It's looked a little bit lifeless, and that didn't change today despite the win. Honestly, this was one of their lesser performances. Yeah, you credit John Gray. He's been great all season long. I get it. Mike Maddox is his pitching coach. What do you expect? But at the same time, I still think when you strike out 12 times and you're on the heels of a a five-game losing streak that very easily could have become six tonight if not for the, the, the great pitching and the swing by Alec Burleson, there are concerns, and the, we're not just talking about the record. Like There are concerns about 
the record because you've got the worst record in the National League. But there are concerns about the viability of being able to to climb out of that hole based on the trends that we're seeing from the offense. Fortunately, the pitching is moving in a better direction, but I just don't know if it's going to be enough unless this offense kind of reverts back to what they're capable of being, which I still maintain is a you know a top five, maybe top six, top eight offense. I think they've got to be top five or they're not making the playoffs. And uh, like I said, I'm not even going to bother looking up exactly where they are tonight. I know they've been lingering around 10-11. Uh, they're probably slipping a little bit beyond that at this point as well. Something's got to give for this offense to be able to to get the most out of these guys that are good players. You know, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Gorman, Nolan Arenado, that's a very fearsome top three to have in your lineup in terms of the power threats in the middle. Wilson Contreras, they've got to get more out of him on a more regular basis. Uh, I know you're missing guys with injury right now. You expected O'Neill to be a factor, and he, he wasn't and then got hurt. Lars Newbar was a, a pretty solid factor before his injury. Uh, Dylan Carlson was really starting to come on strong a little bit as well. Mostly you you liked him in there for defensive reasons, which again, I know Tommy Evans has done a nice job in center. I'm putting Dylan right back into the everyday lineup in center field uh, to try and help the pitching staff even more and to try to just bring some continuity to this lineup potentially. Um, still finding a way to put Edmund in there. It's probably in left field. Uh, appreciate the, the swing by Burleson tonight, but generally I don't think he's going to be an everyday guy at this point in time. And so maybe Edmund plays a corner spot and you, you kind of see what it looks like for Walker until Lars Newbar returns and and you, you kind of go from there. I just look at this team right now and say I, there's too much talent, even though there are reasons with some guys missing that things aren't going all that well. There's enough still there that I think like that they should just be figuring this out at a higher rate than they are. Uh, Jordan Walker, I think, is showing some nice things offensively. DeYoung is, has really fallen off, but Walker is maybe a guy down there at the bottom of the lineup that can do some good things for you. Uh, Edmund struggling a little bit. As it, It's not surprising to see the collective stats of a lot of these guys dropping. You know, even Goldie definitely with a couple of strikeouts tonight and no hits is down to an 876 OPS. So certainly concerns about, I think, top to bottom with the way they're performing offensively. They've just got to lock in and find a way to get it back because if they don't, I just don't know how far this pitching staff can carry it. They can even be a top 10 unit the rest of the way, which would then pin them at about probably 12 to 14 or so when you count the entire season. I just don't think that's going to be enough to lift this team out of the major hole that they're in. Because again, one-run games have not been the Cardinals' benefit either. Tonight, you at least get one going on the proper side of that ledger. But I still think that makes them about 7-14 and 14 in, in one-run games this season, if I'm if I'm getting that number right. So it just doesn't have the feeling, even after a win, that, hey, everything's all right. Like, that was a, a sigh of relief kind of win for the Cardinals. You maybe got away with one. Let me know though what you think, Cardinals fans. Comment on this YouTube video. Appreciate you guys watching on YouTube, listening on YouTube, listening on Spotify as well. Make sure you follow the show on Spotify. It's Be Shafe Daily, anywhere you get your podcasts. It's Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer, when you're talking about the YouTube channel. Uh, thank you guys for helping me build that up. It's been cool. We're getting closer now to 1,100 subscribers. Uh, still working on the whole getting things underway for maybe some advertisements and things like that to be showing on the channel. Time will tell if that ends up getting to take place. But appreciate you guys regardless for listening and consuming the show. It's been a lot of fun bringing it to you over the course of the couple of months that we've done so this season. Heck, it's been fun over the last three years or so now that we've had 400 episodes in total. Uh, definitely getting those numbers up with with the pretty regular podcasting this year. So appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. We will talk to you next time on Be Shape Daily. Peace.